Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Thank you for listening. Whether you're a new listener or a seasoned fan, we're so happy that you're joining us as we explore the issues and meet the people who are important to Northwest Ohio and to Owens Community College. Please take a moment to explore our previous episodes and be sure to subscribe to Conversations so that you can join us for future episodes. Today, I am very excited to welcome Wendy Huntley, president of Connecting Kids to Meals. Wendy has served as president of Connecting Kids to Meals since 2016. She is also an accomplished attorney with nearly 30 years in corporate litigation, intellectual property, sports, and entertainment law. Wendy is a Toledo native, and she earned her bachelor's degree from Bowling Green State University and her Juris Doctorate from the Ohio State University College of Law. Wendy has been recognized with the YWCA of Greater Northwest Ohio's Milestones Award, Northwest Ohio's Association of Fundraising Professionals Outstanding Community Responder Award, and she has been a Leadership Ohio Fellow. Wendy is the chair of the Board of Hope Toledo and on the Board of Directors for Mercy Health, Partners in Education of Toledo, Mobile Meals of Toledo, and Ayers Christian Center Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, Wendy, and thank you for being our guest today. Wendy, welcome to our Conversations podcast. I am so thrilled that you are here with us this afternoon. One of the things that we have done with our podcast is to ask our guests, when did they know, how did they know that they needed education beyond high school? And so can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. First of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about what I do and at Connecting Kids to Meals and also just about my background. So Started at a young age. So I grew up mm-hmm. here in Toledo. Uh, my mom was a professor and mm-hmm. a college professor at, I won't even say the other university, it's brown and orange, but <laughs> at, <laughs> at one of our local colleges. She went and, to the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, she was a, she was a teacher at the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and, you know, education was important for all of us. We mm-hmm. went to private Catholic schools, all three of us, uh, my sister and my brother and I. And uh, education was just something early on. Mm-hmm. That was emphasized, and it wasn't really this is the way out of poverty because we certainly weren't didn't live in poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had everything that I needed and most of the things that I wanted, <laughs> and um, it was something that really became just a foundational building block. Mm-hmm. And I had seen the importance of it in my mom's uh, life, and obviously in my dad as well, uh, being a postal supervisor, but. You know, education and continuing to to learn mm-hmm. was really the uh, emphasis that my parents placed in all of us. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing when you talk about where people get their motivation from. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed with all of our podcasts is that some of our guests, it was either their parents mm-hmm. and or their family or a teacher or someone who said this is important or it's something that they kind of fell into. Right. Like they didn't realize it. And then they kind of said, oh, this might be how I need to get from A to B to C. Absolutely. So my mom gave me two choices. Mm-hmm. She didn't encourage me to be a professor mm-hmm. at a university, but she did encourage me to become a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so when I learned a little bit more about how much school <laughs> you had to go through for becoming a doctor and to actually uh, do a sur- do surgery, I said, yeah, I think I'm going to take door number number two, Bob. And I think I'm going to go the lawyer route. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have any lawyers uh, in our family, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like I 
watched my uncle as I grew up do this. Uh, nothing along that line. I was, I was the very first one in our family, in our extended family, mm-hmm. to actually go to law school. But I knew since the sixth grade mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a lawyer and uh, really pressed forward with that throughout all of my uh, formative years and mm-hmm. educational years and just continued to you know, build on all of that in order to attain the goal. But that's not exactly what you're doing right now. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that's right. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about that journey from, because you went to law school at Ohio State, right? Yes. And so that journey that took you from there to here. So, um, you know, going to the Ohio State University <laughs> College of Law. You know, everybody always has to, always has to pause after that. Um, and, and now it's got a different name, but that really mm-hmm. is dating me by calling it that. You know, I, I went to law school and I practiced law for about 12 years with a large law firm and then uh, set out on my own with my own firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was doing that, I actually was working at our church ministry mm-hmm. uh, in Columbus. And really, in while I was engaged in all of that, came to understand just what some families in the Columbus area were dealing with, thousands of families, tens of thousands of families in mm-hmm. the Columbus area were dealing with as it related to uh, just poverty. And we all know that food insecurity is a byproduct of that. And so mm-hmm. uh, looking at that and doing some of our event outreach uh, and some of our initiatives at our church really sensitized me to that. So when I returned home to Toledo, I was completely shocked to see not that the percentages were the same, but some of the numbers were the same. Mm-hmm. And I said, how can that be yeah. that our small community could have the same kind of food insecurity numbers as a metropolitan conglomerate yes. like Columbus. And so it really sensitized me to really want to get involved and initially just kind of got involved with a different hunger relief organization on a part-time basis, mm-hmm. which then became full-time. And then I had an opportunity to come to my current position over at Connecting Kids to Meals. So Connecting Kids to Meals isn't what made you move from Columbus back to Toledo. Correct. What made you move back to Toledo? So I, when I left here, uh, headed to Bowling Green State University to play college basketball. Uh, I had no intention of coming back to Toledo. <laughs> Certainly I would visit. Absolutely. My family's here and all that, but I didn't intend to move back home. But my father entered into the uh, final stage of a, a longstanding illness. Mm. And I wanted to come back and help my mom and my sister uh, care for him. My brother lived in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was close enough. So I sold my house and just picked up everything. And again, I had my own firm. So I could always, mm-hmm. that could translate to, to being here uh, mm-hmm. with uh, clients across the United States. And so I came back to help and really was headed to Charlotte. You couldn't have told me I wasn't headed to Charlotte, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't God's plan. His -hmm. plan was for me to come back to Toledo and to help my father. And shortly thereafter, my my mom passed. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of get through all of that, uh, this was an anchor. Uh, This, you know, work and knowing that what I do every day in and out makes a difference, uh, not just for the kids, but also for the folks that we employ. Mm-hmm. And so it really has become a part of my fabric. It's become a part of, you know, really not just necessarily who I am, but what I've been purposed to do, mm-hmm. at least at this moment in time in yeah. this particular territory. Well, it's amazing because when you talk about how you really turned something that was your passion, and it's not only just your passion, you found your mission, your career path, all of that is around solving childhood hunger. Yes. And, you know, just I feel incredibly blessed 
and honored to be able to lead you know, this organization uh, at a critical time. Uh, mm-hmm. I got back and we had just really stabilized our organization. Uh, we've been doing this work for almost 20 years, mm-hmm. but um, our founding executive director didn't really uh, leverage the federal child nutrition programs uh, mm-hmm. in, in a way that was most effective. Mm-hmm. And so I had that knowledge coming in. And so we were able to really retool some things and to focus on everything. And so to be able to do this work every day is not just humbling, but very, very fulfilling. Now, if I'm remembering correctly, you've been able to expand a lot of what Connecting Kids to Meals does, and you alluded to some of the federal programs. And so how have you been able to grow Connecting Kids to Meals? First, I have an amazing set of staff members because they allow for me to do what I need to do. Certainly, you know what that means, the importance of having Mm -hmm. skilled capable, uh, talented individuals around you Mm -hmm. and in your cabinet, so to speak, because it allows you to do the things that you need to do. And so I'm very fortunate from that perspective. Uh, Secondly, I'm a relationship person. And so I I like building relationships. And it's not just, hey, we want you to give money to Connecting Kids to Meals to help us to fulfill our mission. It is always, how can we benefit in this scenario? Most Mm -hmm. certainly. But how can we bring value to our partner as well? Is mm-hmm. it utilizing our platform to distribute information to the kids and the families that, you know, that we have access to? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, partnering on some sort of, you know, marketing promotion? How can we bring value to the table? And I believe that that is something that has helped to um, allow us to build very, very strong relationships with uh, not just folks on the, the local level, but throughout our state as well as nationally. That is pretty amazing. And so in terms of where you are and where the organization is, how many children do you serve? Yeah, so when I took over seven years ago, we were serving about 300,000 meals. Uh-huh. And we were just kicking off a project to build a new state-of-the-art kitchen in partnership with Cherry Street Mission Ministries mm-hmm. that owns the building where we rent. And uh, that kitchen was going to elevate and allow for both organizations to increase their capacity. Mm-hmm. And so we've been able to do that. And so in the last couple of years, we've averaged about 700,000 meals. We didn't increase our space. We've increased our staff. We've increased the amount of food that we purchase, all of these things. But we did kind of streamline what we do mm-hmm. uh, and really, really were a little bit more laser focused to eliminate the things that where we weren't excellent. Mm-hmm. So I believe focus on the things that where you're excellent and allow others in the community to do the other things that maybe they're excellent at. And you can certainly collaborate with those individuals. So We've now grown our organization, not just for being in Lucas County, but in some of our uh, adjacent counties. We're in Wood County, we're in Seneca, we're in Erie and perusing some opportunities in Sandusky and Ottawa counties as well. Mm-hmm. Had some work uh, that we've been doing in Allen uh, as well. So my focus when I took over the helm at Connecting Kids to Meals, then it was called Feed Lucas County Children, but we changed it to Connecting Kids to Meals. Uh, my vision was that we could be the Amazon of food distribution for Mm -hmm. kids in our region all throughout Northwest Ohio. And so that's what we've been able to embark upon is to continue to responsibly expand. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were doing that probably at a quicker pace than we should prior to the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. that blessing, that was a blessing in disguise, really allowed for us to pull back to just Lucas County and then to really begin to slowly expand and re-engage in our 
area in Northwest Ohio in order to be sure that we aligned with our libraries throughout the area, our you know school systems, our boys and girls clubs and YMCAs and mm-hmm. all of the organizations that happen to not just be in Toledo, but happen to be in our region. That's amazing. You had mentioned earlier some of the statistics. And from what I have in my notes, one in four children in Lucas County deals with childhood hunger and 40 percent live in poverty. Nationally, Ohio is among eight states which consistently rank higher than national average for food insecurity. And that really speaks to the level of poverty, the level of need, but also the level of importance that Connecting Kids to Meals has in our community. And so one of the things that we talk about here at Owens is that we know that if a student is hungry or has other significant financial issues. You know, mm-hmm. we do have homeless students. We do have students who sometimes they may not define themselves as homeless, but just couch surfing. Yes. It's a version of homelessness. Um, and we know very much that if students have barriers like that, that they're less likely to be good students because of those. And so can you talk a little bit about about the importance and why it is what you do and and what you see the impact that it has on a young person's trajectory in life? Absolutely. Uh, I know you and I both know uh, the term hangry. Mm -hmm. We can control our emotions as adults, but our little ones haven't yet been able to maneuver that way. Mm -hmm. So what we've seen, we've seen when we're able to partner with our after school programs, for example, and they're able to get a meal, kids are able to get a meal when school ends, the school bell rings around three o'clock and they eat at 315. They're much more calm. And so we know that it has an impact in a number of ways. National research indicates that kids that lack regular nutrition, they're going to have academic, behavioral, and health-related issues, all because their little bodies and minds are lacking all the nutrients and all of the vitamins that they get from food. And so when we think about the importance of removing that barrier, not just for the college uh, students and kudos, because I believe, if I remember correctly, you all had the very first pantry mm-hmm. for colleges and universities in this area. And so it's so critically important to recognize, yes, I believe kids need programming to help deal with mental health. Yes, I believe that kids need uh, the STEM and the uh, programming. I believe that they need all of the programming and the great and amazing educational and enrichment programming that's available. Mm-hmm. But if they're hungry, all of that is for naught. Mm-hmm. And we have to make sure that they're able to focus mm-hmm. and they're able to learn without the distractions of a headache or their tummies growling Mm -hmm. and rumbling because that is a source of embarrassment for kids. Mm -hmm. And so the work that that we do at Connecting Kids to Meals, I am so grateful because we're able to do it in a way where it doesn't create a stigma for kids. Right. We establish eligibility of a site, Mm -hmm. and then any kid can come and eat a meal. And so- Mm -hmm. You know, we're so grateful for those components of this federal USDA program that allows for us to not just feed kids, but to do it in safe, fun environments that are not threatening for them and Mm -hmm. don't create additional challenges. Because you better believe kids these days are experiencing way more challenges Mm -hmm. than we did when we were smaller. And so when I think about all of the components that they have to, to deal with and navigate through and juggle their emotions about, mm-hmm. they should not 
have to deal with wondering where their next meal is going to come from or if they're going to have enough food to eat. You had mentioned our food pantry, and it is one of the first in the state. I want to say we're the first community college in the state of Ohio to open it up, and ours started in 2012. And it's amazing to think of everything that goes along with it because it opens doors for not only as you talk about the educational outcomes mm-hmm. and um, you know what they're able to learn and behavioral but it's kind of that building block. You know, I have a stable foundation. And yes. so, you know, it, it kind of opens up to, okay, what are all the other things I can accomplish now? Because I'm no longer worried about this one thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, we we have the kiddos that are in, you know, grade school and high school, and many of them are even engaged in sports. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to help them to fuel their bodies so that they can maximize those opportunities that when they're practicing or they're having games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so It's so widespread, uh, the opportunity that we have at Connecting Kids to Meals to just cast the net Mm -hmm. to help uh, across the platform, you know, and across the community uh, where we exist and where we don't necessarily exist but can reach. You know, we're really grateful uh, because we're able to help uh, just to help, you know, and I think that's what, you know, drives folks like us. We just we want the best for others. Mm -hmm. And if we can help to contribute towards that in just a little way, Mm -hmm. it makes all the difference. It truly does. Well, you know, a little bit ago, you mentioned, let's do what we're excellent at and maybe allow other organizations to do what they're excellent at as well, to kind of put together a whole package for people. And so we know that there's some other great organizations throughout the region who address health and human service needs. And, you know, with you being really immersed in this work, what opportunities do you see that we have as a community, as a region, to ensure that we're supporting the whole person um, so that people really can excel at what they do? It's an excellent question. And um, while I don't <laughs> profess to maintain the answer, uh, I do know that we have a lot of great organizations. But I think one of the challenges is that we collaborate well in our community, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's not with a plan in mind, an overarching mm-hmm. long-term plan. It's out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we need to do as a community is have an overarching approach to poverty because so many of the issues that our social service agencies are seeking to solve and where we're trying to help, they're all created because of poverty and because of lack and because of just not having everything that a person needs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think one of the most surprising questions that I get, unfortunately, often when I go and speak in different places is, isn't that the parent's responsibility? Mm -hmm. And it really underscores that there are some folks in our community that don't understand the struggle that so many people in our community are facing every single day. Absolutely. We have tens of thousands of families that are underemployed. It's not that they're home being lazy. Are there some folks doing that? Absolutely. But by and large, it's a single mom with three kids. Mm-hmm. And especially in the summer months, when we think about the importance of our meal service, we're helping to replace the fact that during the school year, mm-hmm. that single parent can count on the school to provide two of the meals that the kids may eat. And if you got young men, mm-hmm. 12, 13-year-old boys, they're not eating just three meals, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're eating about five. So, you know, we play a critical role. And so I think, you know, one of the things that our community would benefit from and even our region and maybe even from a 
couple of counties perspective is to really develop an overarching approach and a long-term goal of what do we want for our community? How do we want Mm -hmm. our community to look and how do we want to address in particular the high percentages of poverty Mm -hmm. that we have in our community and in city, the city of Toledo in particular. And once we do that, I think some of the natural collaborative efforts that are already underway Mm -hmm. will be even more emphasized and impactful because then we can start talking not just about a plan, but we can start talking about directing resources mm-hmm. in order to accomplish that goal and those plans. And I think right now it's a year to year. Mm-hmm. It's a funding cycle to funding cycle. And we don't really know where we as an overarching community are going. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone does know that. And I'm just not a part of the, I'm just not <laughs> sitting at the table, <laughs> which is possible. But I do believe that if we did have such a plan mm-hmm. to address all of those things, and we hear about the social determinants of health and the things that in particular our healthcare systems are doing, and I applaud all of it. But we need a galvanizing force that mm-hmm. really identifies who's doing great work and what are we trying to accomplish and how does that particular, how does it connecting kids to meals mm-hmm. fit in in the next 10 to 20 years? Mm-hmm towards our goal of trying to reduce our child poverty rate Mm -hmm. by 25%, for example. We need that kind of specificity Mm -hmm. in our community that, number one, exists, Mm -hmm. then number two, is communicated over and over and over again to not just those organizations Mm -hmm. and not just to the people who are utilizing the organizations, but but to the... Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's interesting. We look at the educational statistics from throughout our service district, which, of course, includes Lucas County and Toledo. To your point about the interrelatedness and the interdependence, we know that education is one of the biggest levers, the most reliable socioeconomic mobility vehicle that anyone can utilize. Absolutely. But if you're hungry... You're not going to get to higher education and much less complete a course, much less a semester or a credential or a degree. That's right. And, and so it's, it's all interrelated because we know that if you're able to do this, then, you know, you have better health outcomes, yes. better, you know, less likely to be involved in a crime, yes. you know, not, not just the perpetrator of, but involved in, exactly. even the victim of. Exactly. And so there's a lot that when you, when you look at these as different aspects of the whole. What you're saying is we need a strategy for the whole so that all of the building blocks that many of which we have in place can be employed properly and with a really strategic aim rather than everyone having their own Band-Aid. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, Mm -hmm. I am the chair of the Hope Toledo Board. Mm -hmm. I'm heavily involved with everything that is going on with Hope Toledo, a a, a Mm cradle-to-career pathway Uh, for two-generation families Mm -hmm. to really find their way and to utilize education for a better life. Mm -hmm. I'm on the board of Partners in Education. I believe in the work that's being done in our schools and the partnerships that our organization has been able to forge with our school districts and teachers and the kids in those classrooms. I'm also involved on the senior side of things. So when we think of the folks that are dealing with hunger, 
we've talked about two very important populations. We're mm-hmm. talking about our school age kids. Those are the ones that we serve at Connecting Kids to Meals. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking about those at the college level, which is the second fastest growing group of individuals nationally as it relates to hunger-related issues. Mm-hmm. But the number one group is seniors. Absolutely. And so I'm on the board for Mobile Meals. And so when I look at hunger and I look at education, those are two components. One is is something that we can solve pretty quickly with a meal Mm -hmm. and with a proper plan. But from an education perspective, there's so much more involved Mm -hmm. in trying to make sure that our young people have an opportunity for a quality education. But I see the two things that have surfaced in my life (laughs) (laughs) as being so interrelated as it relates to what are the two most important things that I believe need to be Uh, the center point of our community's focus, and that is dealing with hunger Mm -hmm. at all levels and then figuring out and helping our young people to be successful from an educational perspective because I happen to agree with you 100%. Education is the best tool Mm -hmm. for getting to a better lifestyle. I believe that with all of my heart, not just because that's, the route that I've taken, (laughs) but I believe it. I see it. You see the results. You see the results. And you see the confidence that's built up in kids who are graduating from from grade school, Mm -hmm. going into high school, kids that graduate from high school, kids that graduate from from college and get their master's and even some into their doctorate degrees. And so, you know, I believe this is a a critical tool and we need to wrap our arms around it as a a community, uh, addressing hunger, Mm -hmm. but encouraging kids to, you know, pursue educational pursuits and not to the detriment of those that want to pursue trades. Right. We need to elevate. Education is education. Exactly. Elevating your circumstances means elevating your circumstances, whether that's through, you know, going to college and getting a degree or whether that's through getting a, a certificate mm-hmm. uh, diploma. And, you know, but we need to continue to push our young people forward mm-hmm. and set goals and help to figure out how do we get them towards those goals and through those goals. Absolutely. I mean, there are lots of jobs Mm-hmm. that pay family-sustaining wages Absolutely. that do not require a 2-4 or, you know, graduate degree. Correct. But it also is generally true that the more education you get, Correct. the better your circumstances are. Correct. And that that's not just me and you saying that. I mean, you can look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, right. and they go back decades and decades. You look at, you know, every economic study, and regardless of some of the banter about is higher education worth it? Mm -hmm. It's not a question. Absolutely. There's decades of research that show that, yes, it is still worth it. Absolutely. Be it, to your point, a short-term credential. Look at something like welding. It's only a couple classes and you're employed. Absolutely. All the way through to other things that may take longer. Or the great thing about it is you can think you're coming in for one thing. You stop out and you work a little bit and you're like, you know, I really think I wanted to do a little something else or something more, or there's an opportunity for advancement for me at my job or whatever it is. And I think that the community in Northwest Ohio has so many of the resources to be able, you know, for people to be able to make those kinds of decisions without having to relocate. 
I agree 100%. And mm-hmm. I think one area that's overlooked, we talked about it, you, you, you brushed by it, is what happens when you go and you do get a job mm-hmm. and there is an opportunity to get your education paid for. Mm-hmm. Anyone at a job should be asking their employer, do you all pay for classes? <laughs> if so, where do I sign up? Exactly. And just begin to push down that path in order to become more educated in whatever the the interest area may be. Mm -hmm. And again, like you said, you may go in one direction and decide later to go in a different direction, but at least there's movement. And I think that's one of the other components to an overarching plan is really to identify what are all of the Mm on-ramps. It may not be that you get a scholarship out of school. It may not be that case. Right. But if you get a job and your employer is going to pay for it, Mm -hmm. that is a scholarship. It is. You're still looking at a way to be financially assisted through what your career goals are. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And there, there's, you're right. There's lots of companies out there that do that. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, have partnerships with us, you know, larger ones in the area. And so that's a fantastic path for people to be able to pursue. Mm -hmm. We talk about it. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have to take the pathway that your mom's, you know, tells you you have to take, for mm-hmm. example, but there's always a pathway and mm-hmm. there's a, there are different, a number of different ways. I always talk about it. You can get to, from if I have to be in Indianapolis on Friday, mm-hmm. right? I can take a flight Friday morning. Mm-hmm. I can drive Thursday. Mm-hmm. I can get on my bicycle on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I can start walking yesterday. <laughs> But at all of those I'm roads. still stuck at, at the biking on Tuesday. I'm like, wow, it's only going to take her three days. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. I just know that you can get there with all of these ways. I'll have to try it out some point. Some point. It's like when you bring up Google Map and they have the different icons. That's right. How do you want to get exactly there? It. How, many, how long does it take you to get there? Well, you talked a little bit about the you know needing kind of this overarching direction. And we know that part of child nutrition is also government mental policy issue as well. And so in addition to a community-oriented strategy, we know that part of that is public policy, but are there certain things that if you could make it so, what would be some public policy um, changes at the local, the state, the national level? Of course, fund connecting kids to meals. (laughs) No, um, you know, from a programmatic perspective, you know, we have these conversations with our political leaders at the local level, as well as the state level and nationally. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have some challenges with our programs and how they function and the bureaucracy. I understand the intent. Mm -hmm. I understand the desire to make sure that if the dollars are being invested, you want to make sure that the meals are going into the bellies of kids. Mm -hmm. I get that. But some of the red tape, some of the processes involved in all of that, while warranted, has a chilling effect Mm. on so many organizations and sponsors that do this work like Connecting Kids to Meals because it's it's so complex and difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's not, our work most certainly is difficult because we're so large. Mm-hmm. But even if we weren't and we were dealing with 10 locations, there's still a level of complexity to all of what we have to do in order to comply with all the rules and regulations and in order to receive some of the reimbursements that cover some, not all, of the costs of the meals. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, in a perfect world, it would be to take those programs and to really streamline them and to determine what's absolutely necessary mm-hmm. and how do we make the programs that overlap and do the, reach the same populations, how do we make those programs seamless? Mm-hmm. Because right now we have a different set of rules for our after-school meal program than we do for our summer meal program. Right. And so when you think of it, we're still doing the same work. Mm-hmm. But the requirements change. The percentages of ounces of food changes. The kinds of food changes. So it's all of these things, and it just makes it more maddening for a sponsor like Connecting Kids to Meals to actually run the programs as effectively as we've, I believe we've proven <laughs> in our tenure. But it still, nonetheless, it creates a challenge. And um, I won't say barriers because Mm -hmm. oftentimes barriers prevent you from getting Mm -hmm. to where you need to go, but it's certainly a hurdle Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the track and um, one that you can trip over very Mm -hmm. easily if you're not focused and concentrating on. And so, you know, we're always looking at how do we elevate our work? How do we improve our work? We're in a constant state of, you know, improvement and Mm -hmm. analyzing what we're doing and looking at our processes and our systems. But if I had to state one thing in particular, it would be that the programmatic requirements need to be really looked at and they need to be the same when you're doing the same kind of work. And that allows you to focus more on what your mission is rather than something that is important to it, but it isn't your mission. It's not your yeah. Absolutely. So you are the first Ohioan to be named a member of the No Kid Hungry's Out of School Time Meals Champion National Cohort. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. And so now you are one of 12 professionals working with No Kid Hungry. Over the next year, you'll be sharing your expertise with new providers, increasing the availability and quality of summer and after school meals throughout the country. And so what is that like? It's amazing. Uh, We're on calls with not just our current cohort class, um, but last year's class was the very first class. And so those alumni members are actually participating in some of our calls. And so we have an opportunity where we can all meet together. It was similar to if you were meeting with other, you know, college and university presidents, Mm -hmm. you all speak the same language And you've had similar experiences and you're able to talk about best practices and glean some ideas from one another and to brainstorm. That's what this cohort opportunity has been for me so far. We're about six months into it. And I've met, number one, some amazing folks from across our country doing uh, some critically important work. And uh, we all share some of the same frustrations and challenges, but victories and inspirations as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's awesome to hear about those things. And sometimes you think you're an island. You think you're one person on an island having these issues and it's got to be you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, we did this, we did this, but we still can't get this result. It's got to be us, Mm -hmm. but it's not. Right. And I'm able to see that because of some of the complexities, again, Mm -hmm. of the program, some of my colleagues across the country are having a lot of the exact same issues. And so I I find a lot of solace in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just great to 
you know, spend a, a little bit of time each month, a couple hours each month, just uh, talking and exchanging and asking questions. You know, we're, we're talking about an expansion project. And so I'm able to, you know, pick the brains of some of the others who have actually done some of these things already. Mm-hmm. How did you do it? Who did you use? Do you recommend, you know, uh, certain consultants? And, you know, what are some of the steps that you guys took? It really just creates that opportunity to have just some critical exchange mm-hmm. that I'm not going to have here with other people. We're the only ones. We, we provide about 98% of the meals to kids during out-of-school time. Wow. And so what happens is our school districts are using a different federal program, mm-hmm. National School Lunch Program. And so they're using a different program, which requires different things. Right. So we can't have the same conversations. Is the end result similar? Mm-hmm. Yes. But how we get there is a little bit different. And so it gives us an opportunity to connect with some of those other folks and to really have some meaningful conversation. That is pretty awesome. Well, congratulations again. Thank you. So I'm sure that someone will listen to this podcast and be absolutely inspired by the work that you do. What advice do you give them on how to get started? So if they want to do what we're doing, don't do it. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, No, you can reach out. I'm happy to, you know, talk with anyone who's, uh, you know, got questions and, you know, wants to know more about it. You know, Wendy, W-E-N-D-I, at ConnectingKidsToMeals.org. But, you know, if you want to get involved and support what we're doing, Mm -hmm. you can absolutely visit our website at ConnectingKidsToMeals.org and you can make a donation Uh, Mm -hmm. Your dollars are going to go really far and they're going directly to the food costs to help Mm -hmm. make sure that kids are actually getting the meals uh, Mm -hmm. that we say that they're getting. Uh, Our overhead is extremely low uh, and I'm very, very proud about that because we uh, are operating very efficiently with a very streamlined team. But they can also volunteer and come and help us pack meals. Uh, we love to have folks come down to our warehouse and help us pack meals. We also can arrange uh, with some of our corporate partners to have packing events at their locations. So we'll mm-hmm. bring all of the items for them to be able to pack and they can use that as an engagement opportunity and a team building opportunity for mm-hmm. their employees. And I think third and of equal importance is talking about it. I don't know that everyone understands that one out of every four kids faces hunger, as you alluded to earlier. Mm -hmm. They think that we're making some of these stats up. And this is the shocking component. I believe, we don't have proof yet, (laughs) but I am convinced it's closer to one out of every three at this point. And the reason I say that is because the numbers that we rely on are driven by families that complete income eligibility forms for the school districts. Mm -hmm. Our school districts, I talk with a lot of our superintendents and a lot of leadership staff and food service directors. There was a lot of difficulty collecting. This was the first year since 2019. Mm -hmm. So this past October was the first year that this information had been collected. The amount of information that was collected was about 60% of what was collected in 2019. Oh, wow. So when you think of the true implications, Mm -hmm. we don't really have a good grasp Mm -hmm. of what COVID did to our community. We're guessing and we're using data, but when you really dig into the data, the data is not reliable to give us what we think we're looking for. Mm -hmm. It is a data point, but it's not 
reflective of what's really going on in our community. And so I think as we look at those data points for child food insecurity and the number Mm -hmm. of kids that qualify for free and reduced meals in our community, I believe that that translates equally to the data that we have for homelessness, Mm -hmm. the data that we have for domestic Mm -hmm. violence, the data that we have for mental health. I think it translates well in the same regard that those numbers are conservative at best. So I think we have a much bigger issue on our hands than we realize. Mm -hmm. And I don't see relief in the near future. So I think one of the things that we would encourage people to talk about the child food insecurity issues in our Mm -hmm. community, we didn't even get a chance to talk about our food deserts in our community, Mm -hmm. which is another significant contributing factor to child food insecurity in our community and hunger overall in our community. But just talking about some of these things really helps people to, number one, hear the information. Mm-hmm. Number two, maybe do a little bit of research on their own. Right. And then number three, roll up their sleeves and come help us to do this vitally important work. Absolutely. That is so good to hear that, you know, there's lots of ways for people to become involved and engaged so that our children don't have to suffer and that they can truly flourish and become self-actualized adults. Absolutely. They don't make the decisions in the home. No. That's what I tell. I tell folks all the time when I go speak, you know, we're trying to protect those that are not and give uh, an advantage to those that don't decide what happens with the paycheck. They Mm -hmm. don't pick the foods that are purchased. They don't. (laughs) choose to pay for the rent they don't choose to pay for the car insurance or the car note and all of these things have to utilities all these things have to be taken care of and Mm -hmm. so when you think of nutritious food and making sure that kids get all of what they need Mm -hmm. sometimes some families are struggling to get to that fifth priority yep so One of the courses that we have here at Owens is a nonprofit management course. Absolutely. Awesome. And so we know that we have students who are interested in making a career out of some sort of nonprofit organization. What advice do you have for them? So leadership is leadership, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're at a university. doesn't matter if you're at a corporation, Mm -hmm. a healthcare system, a nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. I would first and foremost tell them if they want to be in a nonprofit setting, nine chances out of 10, there are going to be opportunities for them to matriculate into leadership. Mm -hmm. So they need to be prepared for that. Secondly, please be passionate. If you are coming to the nonprofit world with a mindset that it functions from a salary perspective and things along that line, (laughs) as the corporate world does, you're sadly mistaken. (laughs) So you have to be passionate about what you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then third, you know, be committed to being a great worker Mm -hmm. first, because nonprofit work is about service. Mm -hmm. We're servant leaders whenever we're in leadership. But that's at a whole nother level of being at service to people Mm -hmm. when you're at a nonprofit organization. And so if you don't like people, or you don't like serving people, <laughs> please don't enroll in class. <laughs> don't think that you can go to a, a nonprofit. Um, it's interesting. We've seen a resurgence of folks that have been in the corporate world uh, mm-hmm. or and or retired from the corporate world, and they're very interested in now giving back. Mm-hmm. And so we know that that exists. So if they're coming right out of college and wanting to go into the nonprofit world, just know what you're going into because it is very different. It is not... Uh, 
the same mm-hmm. experience. And so uh, I would definitely tell them to do that. And then last but certainly not least, not everyone can travel, but traveling this world provides a different level of education mm-hmm. and inspiration and exposure. Um, and so, you know, for those that can travel, whether it's, again, getting in your car or getting on the airplane, whatever that is, get outside of this region and see what's going on in other places across this state, other places across this country, and hopefully across this world. Mm-hmm. Because the education that you'll get, the exposure and experience mm-hmm. will be unmatched, and it will help you to be a better employee mm-hmm. and ultimately a better leader. Yeah. We often learn more about ourselves as we learn about others. Absolutely. I mm-hmm. agree 100%. Mm-hmm. We want folks to know about the work that we're doing, mm-hmm. but I think more importantly, we want people to know about the issue mm-hmm. that we're really addressing. And so uh, today, uh, this podcast does that. And so thank mm-hmm. you for having me on Conversations Podcast. I really appreciate it the invitation. We're so glad that you're here. The partnership that we share is really about the issue that we know that people can't really, we can't expect people to have aspirations if they don't have those basic needs met. And so we're excited for the work that you're doing because we think it definitely feeds into, pun intended, the work that we're doing. Absolutely. Definitely. However we can support, we are there. We're your number one fan. Great. Well, thank you. And we are yours. And so we thank you for everything that you've done for the community in Northwest Ohio and are happy that you were able to join us today. So thank you. Wendy, thank you so much for being with us today. I am so inspired by your efforts on behalf of the children and families in our community. Thank you for your time. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please remember to subscribe and join us for future conversations. Until then, take care. 